Please turn your Bibles to Matthew 28. Uh, my name is Stuart McCray. I have the joy of serving on staff as one of the pastors, and it's a delight to be able to bring you God's Word this morning to be worshiping alongside of you this morning. We are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28, a very familiar passage this morning, uh, verses 18 through 20. This morning, we, we do conclude our series we've been doing on the theme of exiles, that Christians are exiles in a foreign land. Christian, God has elected you, has chosen you, and because of that, you are as a, a sojourner in exile here. This is not your home. Well, what's more, you get your marching orders from a different king and a different kingdom. Here's the reality. Your identity comes with a purpose. If you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, then you, 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 if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, then you have been commanded by the risen Lord Jesus to make disciples. Now, making disciples involves evangelism and discipleship, and when we hear those terms, some of us can get a little squeamish shrink back with a little fear, or, or maybe it can stir up some measure of, of shame. We all know that this command is given to each of us, but for various reasons, some of us would sure hope that this command was just for the apostles or just for pastors and, and preachers and, and elders. But Jesus graciously, graciously commands each and every disciple to make disciples. This command is inescapable, and as we'll see, possible. Now, when I say the Great Commission, what comes to mind? It's the command, right? All right, let's read, let's read the text. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, the remaining 11 disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You see, in these verses, King Jesus provides us three truths about this disciple-making mission that he gives to every exile. There's a claim there's a command, and there's a commitment. There, there's a claim, there's a command, and there's a commitment. And without the claim and commitment, the command carries no weight and no power to obey. And so what, what we're going to do here is we're actually going to start off with the claim and the commitment, and then we're going to talk about what we're most familiar with, the command. So three truths about the disciple-making commitment, the disciple-making commission that King Jesus gives to all exiles. Let's reread verse 18. Jesus boldly claims all authority in heaven and all authority on earth has been given to me. Jesus' words speak of the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 7.14. Speaking of a son of man, Daniel said, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. The, the lordship, the kingship of Jesus is just a fact. It, it is a reality. Jesus is now reigning and ruling over everything. And his, eternal, his kingdom is eternal, everlasting. It will never come to an end. That's a fact. One can either bend the knee in glad submission now or in rebellion later. Either way, everyone will bend the knee to King Jesus. Because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Paul says it this way in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is every name, that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, Matthew stresses this, the themes of Jesus being king and having authority throughout his gospel. The, the kingly theme is seen in Jesus' genealogy to King David. It's seen in the wise men who are pursuing the king of the Jews. It's, it, it's seen in the political threat to King Herod. It's seen in Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And it's seen at the end of the gospel through the, through the mockery and accusations the theme of authority is seen throughout in Jesus' unique teaching, his healings, his forgiving of sins, and his authority over demons. And here at the end of his account, Matthew records Jesus, the, the carpenter from Nazareth, as claiming to have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, Jesus' claim to have all authority is the, is the basis for the command in verse 19. That's what the therefore is speaking to. Matthew writes, and Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. It, it speaks to result. It's like cause and effect. Jesus says, I have universal authority, so as a result, make disciples, followers, of me. Jesus has all rights, all authority to make a command like this, but do not miss that he is commanding those who, by God's grace, have already submitted in glad submission to him, have already bended the knee in glad submission to him. And fellow exiles, so it is with us. As you consider this command as being given to you, Remember, this is your king who is commanding you as well. This is your king who stands in victory, having canceled the record of sin that stood against you with its legal demands by nailing it to the cross. This is your triumphant king who disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. This is your king who still has all authority and he's commanding you to make disciples. Jesus' universal authority should graciously compel us to make disciples. 
So first truth about the disciple-making commission is it is a result of Jesus' claim to have authority. The second truth of this commission is that it involves a commitment. Let's reread the second half of verse 20. Jesus said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. One of the sweetest promises that God gives to his people is the promise of his presence. Oh, one of the sweetest promises that God makes to his people is, I will be with you. In the Old Testament, when God commissioned someone, he would often assure them with his presence to encourage them to fulfill the task that they had been given. An example would be Joshua 1 uh, verse 9. To encourage Joshua to lead his people into the land, God says this, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And the same thing is happening in our text, but because of the gospel in better ways. You see, Jesus' resurrection didn't instantly transform fearful men into men of faith. In verses 16 and 17, we're told that, the, that those whom Jesus is talking to are the remaining 11 disciples. And here's how they are responding to seeing Jesus. It's recorded, when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, Matthew doesn't explain their doubts and it really doesn't matter because Jesus commands them all the same and Jesus makes the same commitment to all of them as well. Jesus' resurrection didn't instantly transform fearful men into men of faith. The sending of the Holy Spirit did. See, unlike the Old Testament saints where the presence of God was an encouragement, in the New Testament, the presence of God in Jesus through the Holy Spirit empowers the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is the difference in what we see in the disciples at the end of the Gospels where they're running away from persecution, running away from identifying with Jesus to then what we see in Acts and the rest where they're standing bold for Jesus in the face of persecution and even in the face of death. The sending of the Holy Spirit to empower his disciples is the fulfillment of this command, of this commitment, I am with you Always. This is how Luke communicates what's going on in Acts. This very thing is what Luke communicates what's going on with Acts and the rest of time. In Acts 1.1, Luke writes this. In the first book, that means Luke's gospel, in the first book I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And Acts and the rest of history is the story of what Jesus continues to do and teach through the Holy Spirit in the lives of his disciples. You see, in Acts 1.8, Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And fellow exiles, I am with you always is Jesus' commitment to continue to do his work of making disciples through you as well. Making disciples is possible. Obeying is possible. Jesus is with you. Two weeks ago, I, I said that a biblical principle is that God never commands us to do something 
without also giving us his empowering grace to obey. And it's true of this command as well. I think many of us are far more aware of God's commands. That's, that's good. But we're far more aware of God's commands than we are of God's grace to obey them. We can read a passage like this and have blinders on, as it were, and just see that Jesus saying, make disciples, and good luck, I'm counting on you. (laughs) Your obedience is a result of, listen, your obedience is a result of and a response to what God has already done for you. It is a result of and a response to God's grace. God's grace precedes motivates and empowers you towards obedience. So good news. The all-authoritative one who commands you has committed, promised to be with you always, to never forsake you, to never leave you, but to empower you towards obedience to what he's commanded you. What's more? Jesus Jesus' presence isn't something that's on and off, here or there, something to be lost or regained. No, the promise of Jesus' presence is an irrevocable promise made true by his cross and resurrection. Oh, family, nothing that we face will be bigger than the promise of Jesus' abiding presence. We don't have to fearfully shrink back from proclaiming and sharing his victory. He's with us. No matter where he leads us, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, he's with us and he's in control. I mean, knowing that the king of the universe was with them is what enabled Formerly timid men to boldly say to ruling authorities that, sh- that tried to stop them from preaching the gospel, we must obey God rather than men, they said. What's more, we can faithfully and optimistically proclaim the gospel knowing that Jesus is making his appeal through us. As I said in the beginning, I, I know when we talk about evangelism, and discipleship. Many of us, this can stir up a bit of squeamishness, resistance, hesitation, maybe shame. We, we squandered opportunities or we've seemingly failed at others. Oh, but I want to remind you that God's promise of his presence is irrevocable. Now that said, maybe you are experiencing conviction from disobeying. And I want to tell you that you're actually experiencing God's grace in conviction. I want to remind you that there's grace to confess. There's grace to repent. And there's grace to press on once again by his grace into obeying. Second truth. Second truth about the disciple-making commission is that Jesus commits to always be with us, empowering us, to obedience. Third truth, it involves a command. Without further ado, let's read verse 19 and the second half of 20. Go therefore and make disciples 
of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Spoiler alert, make disciples is the command. At its essence, this is the Great Commission, but the Great Commission also entails a claim and a commitment. But at its heart, this is the Great Commission. This command, make disciples. It wasn't just for the apostles. It isn't just for pastors, preachers, and elders. If you call yourself a disciple, this command is given to you as well. In fact, one of the things that we learn is to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a disciple maker. Now, Jesus says, go and make disciples. We got to go. We, we can't be on the sidelines. We got to step into the game. We have to be intentional with the opportunities that he will and does place in front of us. God doesn't just command us and then no opportunities. That's not how this works. You know it. I know it. We got to be intentional with the opportunities that he puts in front of us. We are called to go and make disciples of all nations, literally ethnos, every ethnicity. The commission is to make disciples of every people group without distinction. In Revelation, one of the, one of the worship songs sung to Jesus is, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, ethnos. You have made them a kingdom of priests to our people and they shall reign on the earth. We, we are sent by our victorious king to send and spread his message of victory to make disciples of every ethnos. So, what is a disciple? What is this thing that we are called to make? Well, literally, it's, it's a learner. Maybe an apprentice is analogous. A disciple attached themselves to a teacher. They identified with them. They learned from them. They lived with them. They modeled their life after them. In some sense, a disciple of Jesus is one who, in glad submission, follows Jesus. In glad submission, they follow Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us the means by which disciples are made. Implicit evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus and Jesus converting people. What Jesus does mention is what characterizes the task. In other words, evangelism, conversion, implicit, but to make a disciple, and not just a decision, is to baptize them and to teach them in an ongoing way to obey all that Jesus has commanded. The, the old corrective to the Great Commission is Jesus did not call us to collect decisions, but to make, come on, disciples. Yes, we are not to collect decisions, but to make disciples. In other words, making disciples doesn't end with a profession of faith. It just starts there. Making disciples moves beyond a profession of faith, beyond conversion, into baptism and 
teaching. This is the stress of the disciple-making process that Jesus is putting on here. Or to say it yet in a completely different way, the fulfillment of this command does not produce lone ranger disciples who live in isolation apart from the community of other disciples. Rather, it produces disciples who desire to be with and who are brought into the community of disciples. Baptizing and teaching makes it clear that making disciples moves people into the kind of discipleship that occurs in the community of local churches. And we see this as we move on into the New Testament. Actually, very quickly, in Acts chapter 2, we see that baptism and teaching are things that the body of believers do together. This is a very familiar passage. Starting in verse 21, so those who received his word were baptized. They were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Verse 46, and day by day attended the temple together for teaching and worship, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The beauty of the Great Commission, the beauty of the Christian life, is that we don't have to do this on our own. We have been born into a community. First and foremost, we have the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit within us. But secondarily, we're called to make disciples together in the context of local churches. There's a clear priority on local communities, local churches of disciples making this uh, uh, fulfilling this, this commission together. Let, let's briefly talk about baptism and teaching. I think as we do, you're going to see how these, these work within local churches. So it's here where baptism is often described as the, the Christian's first act of obedience to Jesus. Baptism is a command given to the church, whereby the community of disciples marks off, identifies those who belong to Jesus and belong to the community, the, indeed the worldwide global community of Jesus. So the church is important when it comes to baptism, but so is the individual. Every baptism is done, as Jesus says, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. To be baptized into something was to make allegiance with that thing. So Christian baptism is also where an individual publicly declares allegiance to the Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Water baptism also serves as an illustration of a spiritual reality that occurred in the life of a believer at the moment of salvation. Baptism doesn't save. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Water baptism serves as a spiritual illustration, though, of something that did occur in the life of a believer when they were saved. At salvation, believers are united to Jesus and his life, his death, and his resurrection, the being dunked and being coming to new life. There's the illustration. But at salvation, they're also baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit lives within them then and then seals them for all eternity. And at salvation, they're also brought into the spiritual community of believers. Baptism is done once. Teaching is ongoing. Jesus says making disciples is characterized by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching here is not filling people with just 
knowledge. Jesus says, teach them to observe, keep, obey all that I have commanded. Teaching here is for obedience. Listen, I haven't taught you well. You haven't taught well. We haven't taught well unless we've taught both the, the meaning and application of Scripture. It's said well that the meaning of Scripture is its application. In other words, you don't really understand something unless you also know what to do with it. Or to use the language of Jesus, disciples of Jesus don't just know his commands, but they obey his commands. Jesus said elsewhere, if you love me, you will keep, same word, keep my commandments. And as we move on into the New Testament, the context where this ongoing teaching occurs is within local churches. Going back to Acts 2 again, they together committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, and together they fellowshiped. Together they attended corporate worship gatherings. We see in the New Testament letters instruction for more mature believers to come alongside younger folks in the faith and disciple them. We see instructions for parents to disciple their children. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, Paul writes that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Here's the, here's the purpose for why he gave these people to the church. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that primary ministry work is disciple-making. Teaching them in an ongoing way to obey all that Jesus commanded. Elect exiles in northern Virginia, you have been commissioned to make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded. So, in real practical terms, what does this look like? Step one evangelism. It is the implicit first step in making disciples. We're called not to save people, that's Jesus' work called to be faithful and get the gospel out there. Don't, don't equate your faithfulness to conversions. That's not your work. You're, you're in sales, not management. Get the gospel out there and be faithful. Step two, to make disciples and not just a decision, we must move beyond a profession of faith to baptizing and teaching. We, we must bring them into the community of disciples. With baptism, it's, it's teaching them what, what it is and encouraging them towards it. We have, we have baptism classes here that, that happen uh, ongoing frequently, and it's, it's, it's going with them to the baptism class. Hey, look, if you are a disciple here this morning and you have yet to be baptized as a believer, come talk to me. I would love to be able to talk to you about baptism, your first obedience to Jesus, as it were. With teaching, you, you may be witnessing to someone on your own, but you don't have to do discipleship on your own. No, we're going to talk about one-to-one, -one, that type of relational discipleship in a moment. Yes and amen. 
But you don't have to lone ranger discipleship on your own. You can leverage the community of believers as you make disciples. And the ongoing teaching, this ongoing discipleship of teaching, it occurs when we're together, sitting together under the preached word of God. It happens in home groups and small groups and accountability groups as we engage together. It happens in the children's ministry classrooms and in youth small groups. It happens in families and friendships. Indeed, it happens in one-to-one discipling relationships. There's a value in that. Now, as soon as I start talking about that, and that's where we get a little, a little squeamish, a little hesitant, get, get kind of the, eh, I don't know about that one. But this is just getting together with somebody in an ongoing way. I'm a big fan of coffee. I'm a big fan of food. And so it normally happens over those two things for me. But it looks like opening up God's word or, or reviewing the text that was just preached. Either way, it looks like looking into God's word, seeking to obey it by his grace, encouraging one another on towards Christ-likeness, and praying together. Discipleship is also just being with those that you are discipling. It's living, living life with them. It is inviting them over for dinner, being with the family. It's, it's going to the gym together. It's going out for walks. It's, it's just being together. It's modeling what obedience to Jesus looks like. You see, because it's while doing life in the hard stuff, in the painful stuff, in the successes, while battling sin, where we get the Show and share what it looks like to obey Jesus by his grace. Not not, not perfectly, but by his grace. Remember, the goal of discipleship isn't just to have a head full of knowledge. It's about obedience. It's about spiritual formation into the image of Jesus and, and all that he is and his humility and his love and his forgiveness and his compassion and his gentleness So, I gotta ask, are you making disciples? Are you in the game? Who are you witnessing to? Who are you encouraging towards baptism? Who are you opening up God's word with, teaching them to obey in an ongoing way? Now, discipleship's a two-way street. So let me ask you also, are you being discipled? Are you pursuing someone else who's a bit further along than you are in the faith to, to build into you? Let me encourage you towards being discipled. If you are feeling stagnant, Odd term, but if you're feeling stagnant in your relationship with Jesus, if you are struggling with ongoing sin, I want to encourage you that there is, there is grace. Jesus wants to offer you grace in being discipled. If you don't know who that person is, they may well be sitting to your left or your right. But if you don't know who that person is, come talk to me. I would love to point you in the right direction so that somebody can be building into you as well. So third truth about the disciple-making commission is it involves a command to be obeyed. 
See, the commission isn't just a command. King Jesus gives us three truths about this commission that he's given to all of us exiles. There's a claim, a command, and a commitment. As we mentioned earlier, much of Matthew's gospel stresses the themes of Jesus being king and having authority. But if, interesting if you think about it, if these were the main things that Matthew wanted to talk about and communicate about Jesus, he would have ended earlier in Matthew 28. But he doesn't. He actually goes on a bit more. And yes, with a claim to Jesus' kingly authority, but that results in graciously commanding us to go to make more disciples of his. And this command is given to us today. See, through the same empowering presence of Jesus that was empowering to the disciples and the apostles back then is the same presence that is empowering you and I today to make more disciples of Jesus, to, to make Jesus' last words our first work. Listen, there are many good and godly things that we can do as individuals, as, as a church, but we can do those things and yet miss on the great commission to make disciples. Our highest priority needs to be about sharing the victory of Jesus to others and bringing them into the community of disciples for the purpose of baptism and ongoing spiritual formation. This is a, a weighty task. Yes, indeed. But this is a possible task. Because our King and Savior lives within us, empowering us towards obedience and the fulfillment of this command. Jesus is not done at work. He is still present and he's still alive in us at work, making disciples through you. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for preserving this word for us. We, we, we come to know more about you. You are the king. Jesus is the king who has all authority. We come to know a bit more about you and what you've done for us because of the cross and resurrection that king lives within us through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And we, we come to know a bit more about what you are doing in and through us. You want to make disciples, followers of you and remarkably, you want to do that through us. But you do, and you've made a sweet commitment that you will be with us always to empower us to the very end to fulfill this command to make more followers, more disciples, more worshipers of you. We love you. We thank you for making us disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.